You're listening to Deus et Machina, a podcast that brings people together for short conversations about religion and technology. Our first season has to do with artificial intelligence. I am your host, Matthew Vaughn. My co-host for each episode will be Norm Jackness, a professor of technology management at Columbia University. In this episode, the second in our three-part series with authors Calvin Mercer and Tracy Trothan, Norm and I spend some time listening to them introduce their new book, Religion and the Technological Future. Throughout the episode, Calvin walks us through the five categories of human enhancement that they argue are ripe for religious reflection. We also spend a good deal of this episode reflecting together on the use of machines to fulfill certain religious functions. So one of the reasons why we're bringing Tracy and Calvin into this conversation and hopefully onto the show and uh, among the membership and our listenership is because you've recently written a book about transhumanism and because you are thinking about these issues in a rigorous and systematic way. In your book, you talk about five essentially categories of enhancements. Could you just walk us through what those five different categories are? how you settled on five, how they relate to one another, and then maybe more specifically, how they relate to the definitions you've been bringing up up to this point. Well, the uh, first chapter was super longevity or other physical enhancements. I think super longevity or radical life extension uh, is maybe the oldest in the transhumanist movement. Got, got, it's been they're the longest in terms of having attention devoted to it. The will to survive is intense and deep among in humanity in general. And so there's been a lot of attention on how to terminate aging in the human species to provide super longevity. I think it, it's important to understand that we're not talking here about being in a nursing home for hundreds of years, but rather healthy longevity. But of course, there are other physical uh, enhancements that can be made available are being made available. And uh, Tracy comes into this from sport enhancement. That's a, an example of where there have been attempts to enhance the physical abilities of the human body. So physical enhancement or super longevity was one area that we identified in the book. Yeah, could you give us just a high level? What are the five before we dive too deeply into each one? Can you give me what are, what are the five categories? The, sec uh, the second one had to do so with the cognitive enhancement. All right. So first category uh, is longevity. Second is cognitive enhancement. Third is... And then effective or emotional enhancement. Okay. Four. And then interesting moral enhancement, which is a fascinating area of enhancement, controversial. And then the, the fifth is spiritual enhancement, various kinds of spirit tech ways to enhance our spiritual lives however one might find that. So which of the five? Well, first off, let's go back to that original question. How did y'all settle on the five and do they relate to one another, et cetera? Well, the five that we identify are the ones that are referred to in most literature that's out there so far. A spiritual enhancement is a relatively new area that our colleague, uh, Ron Cole Turner, really helped to um, nail down. 
And so since then, there's been many other things that are adding to spiritual enhancement. But the categories are difficult. You're right. They overlap. They're not easily distinguished always from each other. But in an effort to understand how we're trying to approach what it means to be human and make ourselves better, we tried to uh, break it down into some more manageable areas while pointing out the overlaps. For example, there's an over, a strong overlap between affective and spiritual. So in the one chapter, we address both of those together. Uh, the question of, you know, how do we experience emotions and how does AI interact with those emotions and same with spirituality, because um, spirituality, uh, a part of spirituality is often recognized as spiritual emotions like awe, hope, joy, wonder, dread, all of those things. So how do we, in terms of enhancing our spirituality, we're also looking at enhancing those spiritual emotions. So we've got an overlap there between affect and spirituality. Same with in the other direction, affective enhancement. We're looking at things like, again, talking about affective computing with wearable tech that can look for indicators about our emotional states and give feedback that can be interpreted to suggest, well, what are we experiencing? Are we verging on depression? Are we stable, joyful, and can point to possible interventions? Possibly one of those interventions could be a spiritual enhancement to immerse ourselves more in spiritual sources, companionship, worship, other things that can lift us up, give us that sense of, wow, things, there is hope, there is possibility still. So there's a whole lot of ways that, that they intertwine, the affect and the spiritual. From a religious perspective, the human person is an integrated person. We can't just take out these pieces and understand them effectively, separately. So we really have to understand our emotions in relationship to our spirituality in relationship to our ability to think and our physical bodies as well as our morality. So it's a little bit artificial when we separate them. But from a technological perspective, the technological enhancements are being aimed at, as we understand them, being that aimed at those different aspects of personhood. And in terms of how they relate, an interesting example that is moral bioenhancement. Ethicist wrote a book that the title, uh, Unfit for the Future, the idea that our technological enhancements in various areas where it's physical, cognitive, are going to outstrip our moral ability to, to handle that technology the technological enhancements. And so there is some, some who advocate moral bioenhancement and that we need that in order to be able to handle the other potent technologies that, that are coming along. And that that was, I think, part of what uh, religion can offer too. It can offer wisdom as well as, as knowledge, but it can offer wisdom about how to uh, maybe manage this. Now, having said that, there's a lot of religion out there that I, that would not be useful for helping to guide technology. So I'm talking about the best of the traditions to offer wisdom, but that's a way of how the moral, moral bind enhancement relates maybe to some of the other uh, technological enhancements. Could you give me an example of what moral biohacking means concretely? What does that mean? Like, say I want to become something and I 
something I'm not more moral my mind or in someone's mind. Could you run me through a concrete example of what that means as you're describing it? Sure. Well, I think, uh, go ahead, or, Tracy. <laughs> Calvin, if you want to go ahead, that's fine. No, you're probably going to talk about some of the possible pharmaceuticals or that sort of thing, but go ahead. That's more your area. Yeah. So there, there are a number of different interventions, pharmaceutical, as well as uh, brain stimulation and possibly genetic modification technologies too, using gene editing technology like CRISPR, for example. So there's work that's being done especially in the military sectors around the possible reduction of feelings of remorse through genetic modification. Brain stimulation may make us more altruistic or it may end up affecting our personalities in ways we can't foresee. The use of a pharmaceutical like uh, oxytocin is the tocin is a is a hormone that's known to make us more trusting and to bond us together more so. But the interesting thing there is that it works to make us more altruistic and bond more closely to people we already care about, to those who might be considered family or within our small community or in our sports team. But at the same time, it will also potentially cause us to be more hostile to those who are outside of that in-group. So we, we have a lot of potential for abuse. If you can imagine decreasing capacity for remorse, increasing our capacity for altruism, but only the in-group and increasing our capacity for hostility to others, we may end up setting dynamics that will not be very helpful in terms of a world that is inclined to war. Norm, as someone that thinks about technology generally all the time. I'm curious how this description lands for you and what questions it, it poses as you understand the technological space conceived very broadly and sort of the way folks think about it from the other side of the curtain, those that are actually producing the technologies like right. CRISPR, like others. All right. So first of all, I, I will point out that the, the, the bio... Um, engineering, if you will, is really a separate world, generally speaking, from AI and, and information technology. So those are, we're talking very broadly about technology here, not, you know, not just artificial intelligence. I'll also say that I think for good or evil, most of the people who are actually in the business of working on these things haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this and probably haven't even heard about some of the things that, uh, for example, Tracy was talking about. So it, maybe they need to be educated about it <laughs> to, to be more careful. I mean, they understand some of the risks, but they're not putting it in the kind of context that we just heard. The other thing I'd say is that while the technology that we have may be increasing in its impact, and I say may, because I think it's arguable from a historical point of view, but it, it may be, but it's not new. In varying ways, we've dealt with these issues before. I mean, and so maybe instead of OxyContin, we introduced the use of wine in religious rituals. It was that intended for some particular uh, purpose that uh, Tracy mentioned? I don't know. I didn't invent those religions. But, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that's, that has been part of human development for a very long time. That we've, the technologies we've had to deal with that have, in theory, made us smarter, made us live longer, and all the rest of that, that are not just 21st century phenomena. I'd like to go back to that which is artificial, and I'd be curious to Tracy and Calvin, where, if and where, artificial intelligence plays into notions of transhumanism. We've talked a little bit about 
I, 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 I saw some glimmers of it in your book, but I didn't, there wasn't as much of a treatment of AI generally, but I am curious, even if it's not in your book, where you feel like AI fits into the transhumanism conversation. Maybe a few concrete examples would be great as well. Well, I think right off of robotics and what's happening in that whole area. So transhumanism and robotics. Well, as robots are being created, they're affecting and they will affect us more and more. They're going to affect humans. So that even though we are not the robots, we're creating robots theoretically in our image in some way or in what we think is the best part of being human. So we're going to be magnifying these human qualities that we select to, to devote in robots. For example, we have Mindy, who is a um, humanoid-type robot that's been used in Ontario retirement residences. We have Replica, which is a chat bot uh, available online. And there are millions of users for Replica. So if we consider you know, Replica and Mindy to be enhancing of human of humans by way of mitigating loneliness, because studies are showing that's what's happening. Uh, these robots are mitigating loneliness, but that they may have other implications. So we have to ask, what are the possible implications of robots on spirituality, spiritual needs, and, and religions? It may be that if we're recreating ourselves in robots, that we're missing a more imaginative, more faith-filled existence. The whole question of, from a, a monotheistic perspective, for example, of the belief that we are created in the image of a God that supersedes our understanding, yet we are recreating, we're creating other technology in our own image. There's, because humans are limited, we don't have that kind of transcendence in the same way as uh, we would imagine God to. So are we you know, reducing somehow divine mystery there, or are we using this technology to really help us to become better humans by mitigating loneliness, by creating more companions, or are we potentially creating an excuse for not connecting as effectively with each other? We can also talk about AI in terms of military weapons and the use of facial recognition technology, potentially in drones. We can look at, too, facial recognition technology that doesn't recognize all faces doesn't recognize black faces very well. So what does that say about our racialization in society and our lack of uh, work in social justice? The religions certainly advocate a lot of work in social justice and a lot of attention there, and yet we're not seeing it. Uh, Calvin, I'm just getting it started. I'm wondering what you're thinking. Specifically about the issue of AI. Thank you, Tracy. That was very interesting. Yeah, well, well I... To take it in a somewhat different direction, and Norm may have a, a, a much better handle here on the on the technical side of this, but visions like that of Ray Kurzweil, where we are, you know, going to move to some sort of super intelligence and the universe waking up, and of course that would would involve AI on steroids, I guess you could call it, and raises all kinds of religious questions about if you take uh, a very powerful artificial intelligence connected to robotics, connected to the internet, then you're talking about a very powerful situation of a super intelligence that has religious or theological uh, uh, connotations when you're talking about that kind of power. But that's just a 
kind of taking it in a different direction, which is into the future, how far, or even if it unfolds in that way, we don't know if it will. Norm, I'm curious how this lands. Well, a couple of ways. First of all, I need to say about, about Ray Kurzweil, it's not at all clear that the vision he has is ever going to be achieved or achievable. And he is really something of an outlier among the people who are working in this area of artificial intelligence. The robot thing is interesting. I mean, there's a part of it, by the way, you haven't mentioned is, is exoskeletons, which is sort of an external kind of robot, if you will, that you wear that, that for example, the military use in order to reduce the uh, exhaustion of soldiers carrying heavy backpacks and weapons and so forth. But the actual use of uh, robots for social purposes is happening. It happened actually initially in Japan, where there were, as an aging of the population, a lot more older folks than there were younger folks to take care of them. So these almost became like, if you will, pets, even though they weren't terribly smart. So the main point, though, in, in my mind where it lands, is I think there is an interesting question that has not been answered yet. And that is, what does all this stuff do to the social links between human beings? And is Replica, even, and it's in a pretty early stage for AI, is Replica a reasonable substitute for having a real friend who's a human being? Yeah, see, to uh, me, it doesn't raise the relationship so much as how we relate to each other as how we like relate to the machines. Well, well, that, well, but if we are viewing something like Replica as almost human, and, and if you looked at the avatar of the picture, I mean, she's intended to look real um, and talk and even raise eyebrows and all that sort of stuff. If we look at it as almost real, then what does that do to the way we relate to other human beings? Do we see this as just an increase in the population that we're dealing with? Uh, do we find that the greater ability of Replica to feed back to us what we may want to hear is better than what we get from our human friends? You know, it's that kind of thing. And if we start breaking apart those social links, what happens to a larger society and government and some of the issues? Frankly, I don't, I wouldn't blame these issues currently on the technology, but the issues where we already are facing with societies dividing in varying ways. Is this kind of thing going to make it even easier for those kinds of divisions to occur? And then what happens? Thank you for listening. This podcast is a product of the Mid-Atlantic and New England Maritimes regions of the American Academy of Religion. Matthew Vaughn is executive producer. Norm Jackness and Ronald Bernier are producers. All recording, editing, and post-production work was done by David Dalt of Sandberg Media. We would like to extend a special thank you to our guests for their time and their expertise. All opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the voices offering them and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of others affiliated with this podcast or the American Academy of Religion. If you would like to learn more about the American Academy of Religion, please visit aarweb.org.